Welcome everyone back to my channel. If you're new here, my name is Spencer Sue, the tech world from the Bay Area. And every Saturday I go over live what is actually happening with the real estate market. And more importantly, what is happening in and as you if you're a buyer or seller, should you be making a move as we approach the winter season? Now, I got so much news to go over, especially today, so you don't want to miss it. You do want to tune into the very end because we got all sorts of things that we're going to be covering. So today, we're going to be looking at several different factors. We're going to be looking at the data itself. This data is hot off the presses because it is fresh. In the first Saturday of every weekend, I go over all the actual data that you may be thinking of and that you may be passively hearing from the media. The media usually reports things two to three months behind, but we're looking at things that have been reported as of basically a few days ago as we closed out the October month and the October data. So if there are certain examples that you want to see, I'm going to be pulling them live here. So if you're watching live, that's one of the benefits that you guys have. If you have any questions, feel free to leave it in the comments below, or you can call or text me 408-547-4590. And I'm happy to go over your situation and we can figure out the game plan from there. Now, I got to talk to you about a lot of things. Number one, about interest rates. Number two, about data. And then we'll talk about all the different things that are happening in the local economy and on the macro side so that you are prepared every step of the way. Let's talk about let's talk about interest rates first. This is what's uh, really on my mind because I hear all this news and I just constantly hear interest rates keep rising, interest rates keep hitting 7%, 7.3%, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, that's interesting. So when I hear of these things, my first immediate question is, what is actually happening when it comes to interest rates? And what is it actually that people are able to get on the consumer level today, right? That's my first question. I don't care about what the macro is in terms of, what the general numbers are, but what can you get possibly today? So let's talk about some options. For a 30-year fix, you can see the average today is 7.35%. Seems high, and it is high. That's fair. Take a look at the arm rate, right? The arm rate is 7. Uh, sorry, is 5.58%. When I see that, I'm like, wow, that's actually really, really low. That's a huge spread of the adjustable rate mortgage side of things versus a 30-year fix. Now, what is an adjustable rate mortgage? Adjustable rate mortgage, this is not the same adjustable rate mortgage back in 2008, which was an absolute disaster. Those are every year they adjust, and that's why people got really screwed badly. But for this one, you're actually locking in that rate for five years, 5.558%. And then at the year five, then it gets readjust to whatever the market rate is at that time. But it's a very good option, and most of my clients and most people are electing to use that because most people will believe that this high interest rate environment will not last for more than five years. But I digress. That also gives you a variable option, right? All these quotes of 7.3% doesn't matter. You can get it at 5.58%. But what's interesting here is the 30-year fixed jumbo. They wrote it as really the same as 7.35%. So when I see these, my immediate thing is I need to ask all of my lender friends, what is actually happening on the ground level and what are available options today? So I like to kind of keep track because each bank likes to be more aggressive in times and they some may pull back. So whoever you are using, you just have to be mindful of those things. Now, what I usually say is 
the individual matters because they're experienced. They're going to be due diligence. They're going to be running your profile. That absolutely matters. But different banks may have different strengths. So I try to keep track of them and then suggest who's the best to be talking to. If you're looking for Jumbo, it is hard to compete right now with Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo, and this is public. This is I just pulled it on the website. You can literally see this right now. A Jumbo at Wells Fargo is 5.75%. That is way less than what you just saw previously of what was quoted on the average of 7.3%. Huge difference, right? Take a look at their um, adjustable rate options, 7, 6, uh, adjustable rate uh, arms. This is 5.5. It's a little bit higher than what was quoted. There are actually 5.1 options there too, but you can see like it's a whole lot less and it could be a whole lot more competitive than you may think. And what's interesting that people don't understand is jumbo loans are actually better than conforming loans because now they're writing it in their own books and they have their own business model of why they write this, right? So you can actually see their numbers are actually far better than even cheaper homes. So even though homes are more expensive, it's a jumbo product though. So the rates are actually 1% better than the than conforming products, right? Just something to be mindful. Like there are many options. At the same time, some banks, sorry, Chase, are pull, have pulled back. They're not being aggressive right now, but this is all subject to change, right? So it's also important for you to work with a realtor, work with someone that you know that actually tracks these things because it's just how they compete. I mean, there's sometimes Chase is super aggressive. At this moment, they're not wanting to be. And it could also be very localized too, right? They may say I'm overexposed in the Bay Area or I'm I'm underexposed in the Bay Area. I want to be more aggressive there, right? Because a lot of these big banks, they're not making really their money in, in mortgages. This is their way to get you as a client for other wealth management and other services. That's the real money maker for a lot of these banks and companies. So as you understand that, you will then also understand of the business model that they have and then play the business model. This is what is advertised, by the way. If you actually have additional income or additional assets because of your money investment, money and other uh, uh, just other other portals altogether you can actually buy down this rate just by moving money over so wells fargo still has it you can buy up to half a percent off if you move up to a million dollars into their account you can just move it like kind so you can move it from your brokerage account to their account you don't have to sell any stocks you can just literally move it and if it's sitting in their account you can already take benefits of that and they have benefits of every i believe a two hundred fifty thousand dollar increment i believe it's um 15 basis point improvement for each of those increments that you move. So that's, that's, I want to go over this first because you understanding your lending options is very important and gives you a competitive advantage when everybody else is dealing with seven point something percent. If that's what they're dealing with, with what the average is you by saving by one and a half percent is a big deal. So you're welcome. You can, you can thank me later. You can leave in the comments below if this was helpful. The idea is you got to understand different lenders are still being extremely competitive in this environment. Now, let's talk about the data itself. I know you all have been waiting for this. This is some of my most popular shows, some of the most exciting things that I could talk about, which is the data. What is actually happening, right? Buyers are super fearful. Sellers think it's 2021. What is really happening, though? And what's really happening is... It's been pretty flat. It has actually not much has has changed in terms of pricing. So let's let's share that. 
I'm going to share with you Santa Clara County for all assets, single family, condo, townhome, all blended together. So you can say the sales price medium. And even though rates have increased, you can see that prices have been relatively flat over the last few months, right? I mean, we just ended October. So all that data is done. It was at 1385. So slightly lower than the last two months, but we're talking about what, 15,000. So that's 1%. So it's not a whole lot like different, right? In terms of a, a medium. So it's been relatively flat. The stronger declines from earlier in the year of the May timeframe, as you can see, April, May timeframe has been really flat over the last few months. And you can actually attribute this to a combination of things. Maybe it's, um, there is definitely impact of higher interest rates that has impacted a little bit, but then again, there's also regular seasonality that occurs. And now as we approach the winter time, we'll see what happens. But as you can see, it wasn't too drastic. Now, what are other variables that you may want to see? Let me know in the comments below or send it in the chat. But let's talk about some other things I would find interesting. So let's find, I would find days to sell over time interesting. Oh, if that would load up. Let me see something real quick. So you can see days to sell has certainly increased, right? The average or the medium days to sell is at 30. Uh, sorry, let's look at the October number. It says 28 days. We can skip November. It's only five days. It's not going to be helpful. So there's 28 days that it takes the average days to sell. So that's important to know. Let's do a quick breakdown, though. I'm, I'm sure you're curious how a single family versus doing versus condos and towns. This is Santa Clara County. Well, most counties are going to be going through the same exact thing. You can say even single family is the same 28 days 26 days in september things like that let's just look at condos and towns so you can see is there actually much of a difference there interesting enough right really interesting condos and towns used to be slower but they're really the same amount of time now which is a really unique situation usually single family continues to do well but because single family is a higher price point because some people may not be wanting to make the move that is actually what's been going on now, the question that people have, too, I have several questions that I would have. Let's take a look at this. I'm curious of the number of new listings a month or, yeah, new listings a month in Santa Clara and how has that progressed? You can see the numbers, right? October, this is the number of new listings, new homes that came on the market is 1,064. So this is some of the lowest in the last eight months which is part of the challenge of higher rates is that sellers are more reluctant to sell. Also challenges that prices have declined. So they may more also be reluctant just mentally to have to sell at a, a loss from their, the high of times. But let's see how this compares if we look up at the back five years. So you can see the data too. So if you look at the data in October, in 2022, this number is significantly less then definitely last year, 2020 was a crazy boom time in terms of new listings. But even if you go back to 2019, 2018, 2017, you can see there's still quite a bit less about. Mm, looks like about 20 percent less. So it's a real problem that we all will be dealing with with these higher rates. This is new. Listen, this is new homes that are coming on the market. Right. So those are all very, very important. So we take a look at the active number of homes.
If you look at the active number of homes, so in October, there was 1539 active homes on the market, right? This is much lower than, or this is much higher though than last year. But you can see it's actually a decent amount versus the previous years. It is lower than the previous years, but it's still at least better than last year. Last year, you would have had even a harder time to be able to find homes. But if you compare it to some of these in the past, it wasn't, it's not too uh, outrageous. Now, so it's a it's an okay balance when I look at these numbers. The last thing I'll look at is activity, contingent pending listings, or contingent that, that on contingent pending over the month. You can see in October of 2022, there are still 838 homes that have transacted. Right. So it's still a, a, a pretty large volume. Now it is less than previous months, it's certainly less than previous years. So what that what does that mean? It means that the buyer activity is less altogether. That's why the contingent pending numbers are less. It's a combination of both buyers or there's less buyers getting in contract. There's also less listings. But I would say the number of buyers and the number of listings in terms of like the ratio, there's just less buyers altogether. But make no mistake, there's also less listings because there are a lot of people, including my clients, have probably 30 plus clients out there actively looking each week. And there's just less homes for them to choose from. So it's a combination of those, those two things that are a potent, that are a challenge for individuals. What other ratios are you curious to see? Um, I would say the other ratio that's that would be important. Let's take a look at the sale price to original price ratio. Let's look at that. I think that's a that's a that's a measurement of how people are able to make adjustments, right? So you can see. The average of sale price to original price ratio is 97%, 0.77%. This has been the same really for the last three months now. So it's been about a, uh, people, sellers are fortunately able to make the adjustments and saying, look, I may have overpriced my house or the market has gone down, but I'm willing to let it go. The last time we saw these, it's not unheard of. You can see there's actually a decent stretch in 2019 that was in this exact same situation. Right. So it's not unheard of of these adjustments. And the good thing they actually make these adjustments. Now, the question is, this is the original price ratio. If you did it by sale price to list price, this in, this factors in what it actually is of the of the most recent adjustment. And you can see a lot of times when people make the most recent adjustment, it's actually at that level, the 100 percent. Right. Whether they changed it or not. So they, they didn't change it. That's called the original price. That may be the case. But if they did change it of the updated amount, it tends to be actually very, very as close as it can be of that new number. So those are all positive things. So when you see a price reduction, you shouldn't be all of a sudden being super greedy and just saying, I'm, I need another 10% off. Like, look at the data and understand, like, if they make the price adjustment, they're probably at that point a lot more realistic of where it should be. Right. And the average data shows itself of being 100 percent for that reason. Very interesting information for you all to understand and see what is actually happening. Let me see. Any of these other ones are of interest. I think that's the main. Those are the main ones. Those are the main ones. Let's go. Let's take a look at the medium sales price. For just in general. Uh, different counties so you can see for yourself so let's take a look at San Mateo and this is this will be as we wrap up the data so if you look at San Mateo we're going to just look at the data why can't we look at this chart too so you can see 
Uh, as I mentioned, this, disregard November. Let me make some changes here because November is just so short. All right, so you can see it's across the board, very similar. It's like San Mateo County, really there in the July, it's been relatively flat. Yes, it fluctuates slightly, but it's been pretty flat since July. This is a blend of all types of assets there. So it gives you an idea of San Mateo County. If you look at Alameda County, you can see Alameda County, a little bit different, right? They actually had a bigger decline. They actually had a little bit more of a decline that was clearer to September. And then October had did better. So October had actually picked up from September. So you can say, oh, why did things pick up? Remember, things that have sold in September were things that have transacted in August. It's a month delay because it takes a month to close. Most of that was because of the summer seasonality. How what, do you want to explain the increase of October? What is your rationale about it? Right. So those are the aspects of seasonality is important. Interest rates are higher than it was than before. Than, than it was these last two months, right? So those are all important things to know. Let's look at Contra Costa County for those that are looking out there, which I have many clients that are looking out there too. Contra Costa County has been a lot more flat. I mean, look at this, like $1,000 more than the last month, right? Higher than it was in August. So for those that are really banking on massive declines, that's not how things work, right? In just as interest rates increase, yes, affordability has changed. But then again, there are so many competitive advantages that you can see from these different banks that if you knew the game and you knew how it worked and you worked with someone like myself that keeps tracking all these things, you just have a big advantage over others. And look at these things, right? Like this is San Francisco. San Francisco has been a lot more modest. Like their lowest time was actually August. And things have actually picked up since then. Because why is this the case? Think about the mentality of a lot of individuals that you may be watching that are renters. What happens in your mentality? What happens is in the hot time, which we've dealt with the hot times throughout the beginning of the year and throughout of last year, people look in the market, they look for a bit, and then they give up. And if they give up, they end up getting a lease for a year. As the lease expires, at that time, they look back into the market. And they will see that there has been a, a very big reduction at different points. Right? I mean, take a look at this. This is a reduction. If you're looking at the top at 161 to the bottom at 13, that's a $300,000 gap. That is a uh, 30%. No, 20%. 20% decline. So you got to also think to yourself, 20% is a pretty good number of decline. And so how much lower can it be? It can be lower. I'm not saying it can't be, but you also have to realize maybe it's a little bit closer to the bottom than you may think. And if you're not correct, or if you're, if you're, if you don't believe that you can see like there's a rebound because then people are realize, wow, things are significantly lower. This is a good time for me to get in with less competition because you can see the days to sell on market is significantly longer right so people have options again but also people have to understand like their rent has continued to increase pretty much across the board so what's your option what is your alternative your alternative is going back to paying rent and paying just do the math probably 50 grand a year something like that so it just doesn't make very much sense at all if you plan to be in the area for at least a couple of years and so that's why 
things usually hit a flooring. And, and that's the interesting part about all of this. And so you should share this with all your friends that are considering to look. You should share with friends that are on the market, thinking about being on the market, that plan to sell to make their moves. Things are clearly still evidently moving. And that's what's very important with all these different data and different charts. So you can see it for yourself of what is actually happening. Now, let's talk about some of the local news, or sorry, some of the macro news, not the local news. We'll talk about some of the local news in a, in a little bit. So Fed approves 75 basis point hike to take rates to highest since 2008 and hints at change in policy ahead. Hints at change of policy. That's interesting. That's uh, That means they may lighten up. We'll see. Everybody's always trying to predict what will happen. Safe basis points was already predicted and it's been predicted for a long time, but they made their move and it was welcome and needed. And then in a well telegraphed, as you can see, everybody has been expecting that they're going to be increasing by 75 basis points to now a target range of 3.75 to 4%. So some of the positive news is that your uh, savings rates on like checking accounts, whether it's like Ally and things like that, uh, has been a lot higher. So there's benefits of that. Um, and they mentioned that they will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation and economic and financial developments. Economists are hoping that this is a much talked about step down in policy that could see a rate increase of half a point at the December meeting and then few smaller hikes in 2023. That's what people are uh, hoping for is what will happen. And at the end of the day, it seems like they're going to be tracking the inflation numbers pretty closely. So depending on what happens with inflation, but I suspect that because a lot of these things are laggards, we should see inflation likely to start declining, although probably slightly. So some of these are working and they need to do what they need to do to break inflation's back. But the fact that they're already having some discussions that they're not supposed to be hiking another 75 basis point is already a change of mindset because a lot of the thoughts were actually already factored in to 75 basis points hikes not just one so we will see what happens here let's talk about this one investment firms blame for making california's housing crisis worse but is it earned is it actually really happening so one of the questions that i get is how much are investment firms or venture, or not venture capital. I mean, venture capital is a player in it, but how much are invest investment firms buying up uh, homes in the Bay Area? You see a lot of examples where they buy up a lot of homes out in cheaper areas like Midwest, Texas. They buy in droves there. But let's see this, because this is some interesting data. They say large financial companies like BlackRock. So BlackRock owns uh, different companies like, um, I think like, Dividend homes, that's the actual one that acquires companies and just rents them out. So the private equity-backed landlords are 18% more likely than corporate landlords not backed to evict tenants. Um, there was a number. Redfin data shows 13% of homes in Oakland were purchased by an institutional investor or business in the fourth quarter of 2021. Oh, my goodness. This is so long ago. Uh, this is like a year ago of data. So sorry for pulling this. But in San Francisco, 18% were acquired by institutional investors. This follows a concerning nationwide trend where large institutional investors have since begin, have since the beginning of the pandemic purchased an enormous number of homes. Over 75% of these homes are in all cash and many without any inspections, pricing prospective home buyers out of the market. So that is really interesting. So people have this 
concern and have this stigma that these institutions are the ones that are just gobbling these up and just what are they doing with it just keeping it as a rental uh i don't actually agree with that they don't actually share what the business is and so let me explain let me explain why so there's actually several types of uh investors even though they're using a a business name to buy homes so you have one which is the concerning one and i agree with that the concerning one is a company like a blackrock that's a massive hedge fund that has hundreds of billions of dollars acquiring residential assets what do they do they partner with companies it could be a small company it could be in this case a very big company like uh, as i mentioned there's this company where is it called they say they don't purchase individual homes in the us yes they don't do that because it they're too big to do that. They use different companies to buy on their behalf of their capital. And I believe it's called divided homes or dividend homes. I think it's divided homes or something like that. Either way, they do that and they buy properties and then they just keep it and use it as a rental. And they just, just hold on to it until they decide it's the right time to sell. And that's one part of it. But in my opinion, and from what I see the data, that's actually a much smaller percent, fortunately, here in the Bay Area, that we're not competing with as much as those people. Now, what are the other businesses that can be acquiring these? Now, businesses can make sense. There are many businesses that actually acquire, especially when you look at 2021, which is a very long time ago, and that was a much different market. I would suspect if they actually pull data of the most current ones, you actually see a whole lot less because it's just local people buying. Nevertheless, what are the businesses that can be buying? There's businesses like a Homelight program. Homelight actually partners with agents and individuals to help them buy a house in advance if all their equity is tied into the home. I'm actually going to be doing a webinar on the 15th, so you do want to stay tuned and watch that. I will also post it on my YouTube channel afterwards. But Homelight, it's a power, it's a tool that actually it's just helping an end user be able to buy a place. That's one option. Another option was a different companies that actually buy homes for all cash because they want to help a consumer just exit that property right away. So who are the ones buying that? It could be a house flipper. Those are people that are buying homes that are buying homes that are most people will not even be touching to be fair, because they're not willing to put in the work and they'll buy it, renovate it and then put it back on the market. And those are all considered businesses and those are house flippers, right? So you actually have three things that are considered businesses, even though two of them are not like the business sense as a buy and hold and hold indefinitely and doesn't ever hit back on the market, right? And so I would actually argue very deeply about what those actually means. And that's what it actually means in terms of what is happening in the, in the market. All cash is very common when it not common in general, but common for those homes because it's a entity that wants to buy that quickly to hold on to it, whether it's a house flipper or whether it's a company like a home light. That's the, the primary reason for these things, but they'll eventually just resell it. So very, very different than some of these other investment firms that have bought homes in other markets where they just buy to rent. So they're straight up just business models where developers are just building communities and just renting them out straight up right away. They sell the whole community. Imagine that. Imagine any of the communities that we have in the Bay Area, they just build it and then just rent it all out. That's what they're doing in places like Texas and like Florida 
by this institutional, which is an absolute crazy disaster. Um, and that's what's actually happening in those markets, but not in the Bay Area. Definitely not in Bay Area. Otherwise, you would see them all gone. Now, let's talk about some of the other things that may be happening, right? Hundreds of apartments could replace Redwood City Retail Center, Residence Retail and Daycare Center could sprout at big Redwood City site. Where is this site? 1205 Veterans Boulevard in Redwood City could host 409. This is on the edge, very close to the 101 side of things. Uh, there's a lot of developments here in that area altogether. So that's always going to be positive news. Redwood City is a very... Uh, I love what Redwood City continues to do in the Bay Area, in the entire Bay Area. They're one of the best model cases of cities that are proactively doing what is needed to improve upon housing, improve on mixed use. I mean, look at what they have done downtown. This is the, the city that has grown and done the best in the last decade. And the numbers speak to itself. And a lot of the residents feel that way, too. So... Good job with Redwood City, which is continuing to see these different activities. Next, can San, can San Francisco kickstart housing construction? This little known committee might hold the magical key. With housing construction stalled in San Francisco because of soaring interest rates and inflation, an obscure city committee met Thursday to debate whether to try to revive residential development by cutting the number of affordable units required. So... You can see currently most larger projects have to make 22% of units affordable, but that will slowly bump up to a peak of 24% in 2027. Look, at the end of the day, San Francisco uh, units, for at least the market units, are struggling to sell, without a doubt. I mean, they have so many challenges ahead of them and just challenges going all together. And as you build more supply, it just makes it even tougher to sell those existing units. So it's really... A, a challenging situation for new builders to want to build. San Francisco has goals, right? They're doing way less than they did in the previous years. So you can see way less units. There's there there have 4,100 units under construction, which is pretty incredible. But that is compared to the high of 10,000 units that are being built in 2016 and 2017. And you can argue at that time did things overbuild at that time. If you actually look at condo prices in San Francisco, condo prices really hit a high in 2018 and for many never really recovered to the highs of 2018s for condos. And so that's one of the challenges that they have to keep dealing with moving forward. They have all these new units coming, but is anyone buying the existing units and do they have enough flow of people going into the city that are wanting to buy it? Because many of these units that are on the market driven ones are going to be more expensive than what was there previously. And the question is, do people want to afford and pay for that kind of space? And also the question is, where are those built? Right, San Francisco is still a very big city. So depending on where they are considering, they may make a decision. Like some areas are probably going to still, still sell very well. Other areas like Soma areas have not done very well. They still have plenty of inventory and options available. So they have internal challenges that they got to deal with to be able to convince future developers whether they should be doing this or not. Because look at this. It cites a survey developers and land use attorneys, which found that 55% of participants say they or their clients have no plans to keep building in San Francisco after the current project are entitled. 27% say they or their clients are considering stopping development, right? That's a whopping, what is that, 82% that is just are starting to just give up because it's just not making any sense. So they got to do things to make it work. There's obviously initiatives, but you also got to be realistic 
with the economic situation, whether it makes sense uh, at this stage to be able to entice people if you really want more housing to do these different things. So, yeah, that's the biggest thing. And, and look at this. And this is fair. The challenge isn't finding land. It's building the tens of thousands of units in the pipeline, the production, the labor costs, just the amount of uh, regulation to do these things. That's the challenge of it. So hopefully they can streamline things, maybe even use it as a temporary thing for, for a couple of years to get more production up to help more people. But San Francisco will have its own challenges ahead. Uh, I'm going to actually just go over... I'm going to skip this one related to should they tax it. But let's talk about a Proposition 30, which many of you have seen. Now, I don't usually like to get things political, but I also like to bring things up that can affect California because it affects a lot of people. There's a tax for millionaires for electric vehicle programs by Prop 30. And when I initially saw this, I was like, okay, it's taxing clearly the rich, right? Prop 30 would impose a 1.75% personal income tax increase on the top earning Californians the share of their income above $2 million per year to fund a suite of climate programs. The goal is to clean up the state's dirty air and help the ambitious greenhouse gas reductions. So on one end, I'm like, okay, this sounds pretty reasonable or pretty fair. Let's let's give back some and help these uh, other initiatives of greenhouse gas. So most of the money, about 80%, would go towards rebates for people buying zero emission cars and build more charging stations. Half that funding will go to low and middle income residents who are affected by poor air quality and heavy pollution. The state already spends millions each year on zero emission vehicle programs and dedicate an additional $10 billion in the next five years to those programs in the year's budget. And this will go into effect 2023 and end in 2043 and slash emissions to at least 80%. So initially, when I saw this, I was like, okay, this is pretty good. Uh, it sounds right. Now, there is that initiative that California has, right, of that mandate of all electrical, all electric vehicle sales need to be certain. I forget the exact year, but there's that initiative that they all have to transition to electric vehicle by a certain year. Oh, look, it's 2035. So what's interesting, though, the state will also require lifted Uber drivers by 2030 to log 90% of their miles in, in electric vehicles, right? So you can see... Uh, when you see this, you're like, okay, okay, okay. This is interesting. Some of these businesses, their business model will completely change because now they have to ha they have mandates of what Lyft and Uber needs to do. So then when one gets digging into it, then the question is, hold on, who's actually supporting this? And you can see Lyft supports for climate tax. How much did Lyft, so initially Lyft did a huge proposal on this to get uh, donations for it. And initially, there was a, a, a crazy big number. Let me see. In support, 95% coming from the rideshare company. $48 million has been raised in support of the proposition. So if you actually look at the numbers, $48 million was raised in the support of the proposition with 95% coming from Lyft. So for Lyft, rather than them trying to improve their business model and trying to figure out actual solutions, what they did is they spent 40 something plus million dollars of their money to run these advertising campaigns to, to not just run it, to create this proposition, but also to run all these advertising campaigns in the hopes that 
this money can then subsidize their business. That is the wild part altogether, right? But it's look if if that's the thing if the if the bank if the companies are able to uh, be involved politically, then they have every right to do so. But the question is, was that actually a good use of shareholder money? Especially if they don't get this passed. If they do get it passed, then you can say, wow, that's a brilliant move. Sneaky move, but brilliant move. If they don't get it passed, they're going to have a big egg on their forehead, right? Because they're just spent 40 plus million. They're like, what in the world did you just do? You spent $40 million to try to get this passed and then become successful. So make sure you vote because the votes are due very quickly. In this case, as you can see, what does that mean? Is it really the best interest of California? Is it actually worth taxing the wealthy people? because of this, and you actually have a lot of proposition, even for Gavin Newsom and many others that are proposing this. And it's more recently over the last, I would say couple of weeks that you see this ramped up and you see more ad campaigns of people, of them coming out to do saying no on this proposition, but this is a very important one for you to make your decision on. So that is some political things. I don't usually go over political things, but at the same time, that was a pretty big story. So I want to go over that. Well, if you have any questions, of course, I would love to be your trusted real estate resource. You can reach out to me anytime or call or text 408-547-4590. Happy to go over a strategy. We should see some really interesting opportunities, but hang in there. We're going to see less new listings. Hopefully, there's less buyers out there too, so it's easier for you to uh, find a place. If you have any questions, love to discuss a game plan. See you at the next one. Bye now.